Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast on a Wednesday late morning. Brendan, rocking the polo. It is a warm day. It is false spring. One of those days in February where it's warmer than it should be, and you just know it's going to be snowing in like a week and a half. Yeah, it felt very kind of Syracuse-esque when it's winter for so long, and then the first day that it's even mildly sunny. Everybody on campus is out in a t-shirt and shorts, so that, that was what I was channeling today with this polo. Oh, did you go to Syracuse? No, never the heard of New it. Newhouse School of Public Communications? Nope. Okay. Don't recall. Yeah, this is uh, it's a joke because we always bring up how, how we went to Syracuse. Yeah. People who went and to Syracuse. And we're about usually, to in this podcast, And we are too. because, Brendan, don't know if you saw the announcement, but last Friday, of course you saw it. You were there for the press conference. I was. We both were. Yeah. I looked at you. You were, we were. We were there. We were very, can confirm we were there. Yeah. Ask eyewitnesses. Uh, the press conference that Paul McCartney is coming to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. He got back. He did. It's a play on get back. Ah, uh, <laughs> that was uh, good. Paul McCartney, first off, for those who do not know, uh, my, I am, I am. For those who do not know, he was in the Beatles. Uh, uh, Paul I thought McCartney, were, yeah. oh yeah. No. <laughs> Paul McCartney is a, uh, he's a, plays guitar, I think. He does something. No, uh, I was named after Paul McCartney, Brendan. Wow. I tell everybody this. Uh, yeah, my mom was like casually, she was a big Beatles fan. She saw them live when they were the Beatles in the 60s. And she, when they were looking for a name for me, casually brought up to my dad, what if we name him Paul after her favorite Beatle? Not telling my dad that it was after Paul McCartney. And he was like, yeah, Paul's a good name. And she went, ha ha, I've named my kid after a Beatle. But frankly, it's a miss that she didn't name me Ringo. I was going to say, this is where we all hoped that your mom's favorite Beatle was Ringo, because that would have made for a much better story. Ringo Mancano is just... Although it would have been... Paul is like not an immediate connection to Paul McCartney, but if your name was Ringo, there is no getting around the fact that you were named after a Beatle. Yeah, I mean... There, there is no question. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I could, can you name any other famous Ringos? I cannot. You really can't. I cannot. Uh... So it's the first time that Paul McCartney is coming to the city of Baltimore since 1964, which is when the Beatles did their first American tour. So he is here for the first time. A lot has happened since 1964 in the world, Brendan. A few things. A few things. Let's run through them. (laughs) A timeline quickly of the world events. Uh, Insane how long it has been since he has been to Baltimore. I think that is just the coolest. I mean, to... Perform in a city separated by, what, 58 years. You yeah. Know, the, your two performances in the city. Um, pretty incredible. And I know that Ringo is going to be performing, I think, four days earlier at a different venue in Baltimore. And the question is, are those two going to meet? Are they going to hang out? Because they I could mean, probably, right? Right? They, they got to have to imagine. I don't know how many friends they have in Baltimore. So they're like hanging out and they're like, you know, texting. Hey, I heard you're going to be in Baltimore. You know? <laughs> that's a great accent. There, Paul. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Want to meet at the Royal Farms on the corner? Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that's where they're going. All the time. Yeah. Uh, but the reason that we brought up Syracuse again <laughs> is because you and I both saw Paul McCartney. We did. At the Carrier Dome in Syracuse in 2016? 2017. 2017. I believe. And he was unbelievably Incredible. Good. 
Incredible. Yeah. So that was five years ago, and he was insane. I mean, it was like he had not <laughs> missed a day since his, you know, wings days. Yeah, and um, he played for what, like three hours? A long time yeah. with like one very short break to change the band. I mean, he played multiple instruments. Uh, he told stories. Oh, the stories are my favorite part. I don't think he'd ever been to Syracuse, New York, but he he had learned enough about the area to be able to mention things that were going on in the area at, around that time, and he knew about... So, like, the guy knows how to be a performer still, and he's putting in so much effort, considering he can just cruise. He was a Beatle. He had a great solo career. The guy can just cruise for the rest of his days, but no, he is still going on tour. He is still going abroad and probably a pretty jam-packed schedule. Uh, it is pretty incredible how great of an entertainer he has been and how energetic he still is at his age. Yeah, like I said, the stories were unbelievable. Yeah, just casually telling just, Jimi Hendrix stories. Because his life is insane, Yeah, obviously. So very excited to go see Paul McCartney again. I'm, I know I'm going to get my tickets yep. available Friday. I think 10 a.m. is when they go on sale. Uh, and the concert itself is Sunday, June 12th. So exciting stuff. I can't wait to see him. I'm pumped. Uh, people were making jokes about the left field wall, whether he was, and somebody said, well, he's a lefty, so he wouldn't have trouble getting a, you know, a ball over that wall. He would, he would focus on Utah Street. Yeah. I want to see Paul McCartney batting practice. <laughs> That's what I want to see at Camden Yards. All right, Brendan. We're going to talk today about free agency and some of the guys that are still out there because I just have a feeling as soon as the lockout ends and the transaction freeze thaws, we are going to get a second run on free agents, kind of like the run that we saw right before the lockout where it was just a mad scramble to get as many guys to high-priced deals as possible. I mean, we almost have to, right? Like, the deals have to come pretty quickly because yeah. you would imagine that because spring training has been pushed back and we don't know what the schedule is going to look like, players are going to be in a bit more of a rush. Well, not a bit more of a rush, a, a lot bigger rush than they were in previous seasons because they want to know where they have to go for spring training. They want to get their families settled in some cases. So players will want to know where they are going to be pretty quickly. So I think once the lockout ends, we will probably see a bunch of deals over the span of just a few days. And like you said, a similar thing happened before the lockout where teams were trying to get deals in before the buzzer. And I know that teams can't negotiate with players during this time, but I have a feeling before the lockout, teams made it pretty clear how they felt about these players yes. and the kind of money that they were willing to commit to these guys. Now, it might change depending on the luxury tax and, and what happens with that. But I have a feeling that teams teams and players have both taken this time to evaluate exactly where they are, who to go after, and it could be something like we see in the NFL or the NBA where as soon as the lockout ends, deal signed here, deal signed here, and guys are ready and packed, ready to go to spring training. Well, it's also entirely possible that before the lockout, if a player and a team didn't agree to a deal, maybe they were very close to a deal. Yeah. So post-lockout, they just dot some I's, cross some T's, and then figure out a deal that was already close to begin with. Right. And I think that the Orioles, because they're not going to be big players for the Carlos Correa's, some of the other top guys that are still left out on the market, I do still think that they could benefit from this run on free agents because I think guys are going to slip through the cracks. And as teams target guys like Carlos Correa and Trevor Story, the Orioles could be poised to strike by getting some of these guys that are kind of forgotten about. And as teams target the bigger 
probably short stops even, because this is a, a market that is absolutely loaded with top-end short stops, and even some starting pitchers, the Orioles could swoop in and get a bargain or two on the free agent market pretty much as soon as the the transaction freeze ends. Yeah, and again, I don't see the Orioles making many deals or any deals that were bigger than the deal that they handed out to Jordan Lyles just before the lockout started. But One like year, you said, $7 million guaranteed. Right. Like you said, I think... It's entirely possible that we see the Orioles add a few players on major league deals at some different positions that we're going to talk about because there still are holes to address. So right before the lockout, we did a free agency bracket in order to predict the one free agent that the Orioles might sign. And our bracket has been cut about in half because guys sign deals. Here's a look at it if you're watching on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're not, you should be. Uh, basically, we had a pool of 32 players, and we narrowed it down to one guy, and we split it up into divisions based on positions. Those positions were starting pitchers, middle infield, third base, and catcher. We still have our final four alive, which is Robinson Torinos from the catcher division. We still have Matt Harvey from the pitcher division, Andrelton Simmons from middle infield, and third base, which is Marwin Gonzalez. Missing some of the Elite Eight as Sandy Leone, the catcher, got signed. Um, John Gray. John Gray. Got way more money than we were expecting. We did. We thought the Orioles were going to be somewhat players in that market, but John Gray ended up getting a bag. Yes. Uh, and then Leori Garcia is already signed. But we still have a lot of players available. So we're going to touch on some of the players that we talked about initially who are still available. And we're also going to introduce some new names who we can bring back up as, you know, guys who might slip through the cracks and guys that we maybe didn't spend enough time talking about because there are so many free agents, but that we can reintroduce here. So, Brandon, let's start with starting pitchers. In that group of eight that we started with initially, Eduardo Rodriguez got signed. He was our our eight seed because none of us, neither of us imagined that he was going to be in the Orioles market. And boy, were we right. He got a huge contract from Detroit. Uh, Andrew Heaney, he signed with the Dodgers. John Gray, you mentioned, he signed with Texas. Alex Wood went back to the San Francisco Giants. And Anthony DeSclafani uh, went to the Giants as well. So those are five guys. We had three guys still available. Vince Velasquez, Matt Harvey, and Tyler Anderson. Yeah, all of those guys outside of Andrew Heaney were outside of the Orioles' price range. John Gray advanced a little bit further in our bracket than he probably should have, solely because you and I didn't think that John Gray would get as much money as he did, being a pitcher from the Rockies who did not have a fantastic track record. Texas is paying everybody. Texas thinks they can fix John Gray, and that is a project that they will take Well, they're, they're overpaying. I mean, they overpaid even for Seager and for Simeon. Yeah. Because they know that they have to overpay, I think, for these guys. Right, but in terms of our bracket... Our top three seeds are still out there. The one seed was Vince Velasquez. The two seed was Tyler Anderson. And I believe Matt Harvey was the three seed. So all of the guys that were lower down in the bracket just went above the Orioles price range. But some of the guys that we thought were more likely are still available because they aren't as expensive. And unfortunately, Matt Harvey won that uh, that division, I guess you could say. And it that is a whole separate conversation at yeah. this point because he has been dealing with a lot. If you are not familiar, uh, definitely look up what's going on in the, the Tyler Skaggs case as well because his future, I think, in baseball is is somewhat in jeopardy right now, but that's probably not his top priority, and it probably shouldn't be. So 
we're not really going to touch on that because I don't feel comfortable talking about that too much because that's out of our kind of realm. And yeah. talking about him on a baseball field feels a little bit jumping the gun. Right. Um, but we can talk about Vince Velasquez and Tyler Anderson. Both of guys, I think Velasquez intrigued me. I think he intrigued you more than me because a guy that has the ability to rack up strikeouts, but boy, the command has to get under control. Yeah, Velasquez was a younger stuff guy, which I thought was intriguing for an Orioles team that is in a rebuild because if you can sign a younger stuff guy and he works with your pitching coaches and somehow gets that command under control, then maybe you have something in Vince Velasquez because of the high strikeout numbers like you mentioned. So I think it's a pretty low-risk, high-reward signing if the Orioles were to go after him, whereas Tyler Anderson is, is completely different in that he is a pretty safe signing but is not going to be any better than your fourth or fifth starter. Yeah, Tyler Anderson, like career four or five ERA, but the strikeout numbers are around seven per nine. Yeah, he's going to be consistently pretty good, whereas Velasquez has the chance to be excellent. He could be a number three starter in a future rotation if he figures things out, or he's not a major league caliber pitcher, and the command is really going to be the factor there. And now that we are into February, and as soon as lockout ends, we're going to be mere weeks away from opening day. I think we can look at this as, and look at what the Orioles did about this time last year, and what did they do? They took big swings with a couple of minor league deals. Matt Harvey was one of them, and Felix Hernandez was the other. So they were swinging on the high upside guys. I don't think Tyler Anderson fits this bill as much as Vince Velasquez. There are a couple other names out there. I don't know if there's going to be any fringe Hall of Famers that the Orioles could sign to a minor league deal like they did with Felix Hernandez last year. But essentially, they can take minor league deal swings or maybe one-year, $1 million swings on some of these guys. Yeah, and the guy who was not on our bracket that I am very intrigued by right now is actually a name that Vivek on YouTube just pointed out. Carlos Martinez mm -hmm. is a right-hander. We've talked about the starting rotation before. If the Orioles sign Tyler Anderson, that's probably four left-handed starting pitchers in the rotation. Yeah. Carlos Martinez, if you remember a few years ago in St. Louis, looked like a future ace. His stuff was that good. His strikeout numbers were fantastic. He has dealt with injuries the last few years and hasn't really been able to get back to form but I think the Orioles could look at Martinez as a similar kind of low-risk, high-reward signing because he looked like the best pitcher in St. Louis a few years ago, and he just hasn't been able to get back to where he was. But if he's able to come to Baltimore, maybe you sign him on a one-year deal, see what he can do on a prove-it contract, maybe he can get back to his form from a few years ago. I like that as well. A name that I will throw out, Aaron Sanchez, who's 29 years old. He's a righty. He was a, an all-star six years ago in 2016 with Toronto, and he signed a one-year $4 million deal with San Francisco before the 2021 season after he missed all of the 2020 season. And he was good, but he didn't get many games. 306 ERA in just nine games uh, and seven starts. So he was used as a starter in, as well as a reliever, but for whatever reason, even though he was effective, he wasn't used a whole lot. So still under the age of 30, I think... Aaron Sanchez could be a guy that the Orioles take a swing on here and say he was effective last year. Whatever the Giants figured out with him, maybe that can stick. 
and maybe he can eat a few starts for us. And look, worst case scenario, he gets a couple starts in the rotation to start the season. He doesn't have it, and you replace him with a young guy. Yeah, and Brian on Facebook pointing out, to go back to Carlos Martinez quickly, Mm -hmm. that uh, he was not good last year. No, he was not. But again, from 2015 to 2019, Martinez had a 322 ERA and 110 starts. That's very, very good. And if he can get back to that kind of pitcher... That's a home run. And that's what fits the bill with Felix and Harvey because that's what they were. They were very good pitchers at their prime. They struggled in the last couple years, and the Orioles were hoping to tap into their previous seasons, try to get something out of them so they could flip. All right, that's starting pitchers. Let's talk about middle infield. Uh, The Orioles have already made moves to address some of those concerns. They signed Rugnet Odor back before the lockout to a one-year MLB deal, and then they got Shed Long a week ago. Shed Long Jr., I should say, on a minor league deal. Uh, He could factor into one of those positions, whether it's second base or third base. Could be an outfielder as well. Don't think the Orioles have high expectations for him, as we mentioned, Uh, but they made a move to address it nonetheless. The guys that we talked about months ago that are still out there that were on our free agency bracket... Not a whole lot. Donovan Solano, Jose Iglesias, and Andrelton Simmons are the only three left because Wilmer Flores, Chris Taylor, Freddie Galvis, Cesar Hernandez, and Eduardo Escobar, Escobar, all five of those guys have signed deals. So the three names that I just mentioned, Solano, Iglesias, and Simmons, still intriguing candidates, I think, for the Orioles if they want to fill maybe a shortstop spot who has a sl- some slight versatility. Yeah, I think the big question with the middle infield, it, it's going to come down to two things. Do you want to see what you have in some of your younger potential players with Jorge Mateo, Jemai Jones, guys like that? Or do you want to sign a shortstop that you can potentially flip at the deadline? I think as of right now, the middle infield is honestly kind of a logjam at this point. You don't have a ton of depth behind Jorge Mateo at shortstop, but at second base, you have a ton of options with Rook and Odor, Jemiah Jones, Ramon Arias. So what do you want to do in the middle infield? Do you want to sign somebody who is blocking Jorge Mateo's playing time or Jemiah Jones' playing time? Or do you think that the benefit that you could potentially get from flipping somebody at the deadline is greater than playing those guys and seeing what you have? I think that's the big question. Well, and I think this is where it gets interesting because of the glut of free agent shortstops. I mean, we've already seen, as mentioned, some of the top guys sign. We already saw Corey Seager has signed a a huge deal. We know Carlos Correa, as soon as the lockout ends, pretty much is going to sign a huge deal with whoever, whomever is willing to give it to him. Same with Trevor Story. How many teams realistically, once all those top guys get signed, are going to be looking for shortstops? So there may be a, a case where the, the number of players, you know, the supply outweighs the need or the supply outweighs the demand where the Orioles could get one of these guys on a fairly cheap deal. And so I think it gets to the point where as their prices go down, you just have to take a swing. It's it's what we saw with with Michael Franco last year where he, his price kept dropping as we got closer and closer to opening day. And was he an ideal player to be an opening day third baseman? Probably not. But his price was so low, $850,000, that it was worth taking a swing on. And he was still an upgrade over Rio Ruiz. Yeah, looking at the infield, I think I 
personally would go in one of two directions. If you can sign an Andrelton Simmons, I think you do it. If Andrelton Simmons is somehow in your price range, that's just the caliber of player that you have to get. And yeah. even though it might block Jorge Mateo's playing time, there's probably not a better shortstop in baseball that you could have teaching a younger shortstop than Andrelton Simmons. Yeah. And he will probably, if his bat returns to any kind of mediocre form, his bat doesn't need to be good. It just needs to be even slightly below average. If he gets back to where he was two years ago, Andrelton Simmons is going to get you a haul at the deadline. Quick refresher on Simmons for fans that haven't followed. Last year, he signed a one-year prove-it deal at 32 years old or 31 years old for $10.5 million with uh, Minnesota. And then that ended up being a huge overpay, and it backfired significantly on Simmons. He had just a 558 OPS. And even though his defense was still excellent, the offense his bat just disappeared. Yeah. So if you can get Simmons back up to a 650, 700 OPS, the defense is so elite that he is still a very valuable player. So if you are able to get Angelton Simmons on a reasonable deal, I think you do that. And then my other route would be to sign a utility player that can play shortstop, second base, third base, some combination of two out of those three. And then a few names that I look at there we already talked about uh, Nico Goodrum is a name that I've thrown out before and wasn't on our bracket, but I really liked Nico Goodrum. Uh, Hanser Alberto, potentially on a reunion, is somebody who could play second base or third base. And then Jonathan VR, another reunion, somebody who could play second, short, or third. I think VR probably makes the most sense out of those three, but a VR, Nico Goodrum type of player is probably the route that I would go. Well, we have VR in our third base division of our bracket as well that we so do we're going to talk about him in a little bit but yeah i mean for me it, i don't see it being very likely that they bring back Hanser alberto they knew what he was it'll and be fun it was a you know low power high average low on base a guy who doesn't play above average defense at any one spot it would would be fun but the orioles had a chance to sign him to a minor league deal a couple years ago and they let him go to the kansas city royals on a minor league deal so i don't see them going back and changing their mind on Hanser Alberto. Yeah, Alberto is just a name I threw out because of the familiarity. And if you can get him on a cheap deal, that's somebody you know has the versatility to play second or third. Yeah, and a quick refresher as well. Iglesias last year after the Orioles had traded him to L.A., not a great season. Uh, negative war, according to baseball reference. He was DFA'd by the Angels and then picked up by Boston right before their playoff run. So he could be a lower-end guy. They enjoyed having him in the clubhouse, and he was pretty productive for them in the one season that they had him. And then Donovan Solano, mostly a second baseman, can play short or third in a pinch. Probably not as likely that the Orioles go after a pure second baseman after they already signed Rugnet Odor. Yeah, Solano and Iglesias are okay players, but they just kind of fall into the category for me of veterans that I don't think you would get enough from at the deadline to be worth blocking blocking Jorge Mateo. I get that. If you can get Andrelton Simmons, sure, start him over Jorge Mateo. But those two guys, I don't know if it's worth not playing Mateo. Maybe, though, they sign one of those guys as depth pieces just because you never know. Mateo, I mean, he was he got very few games, 30-some games, I think, with the Orioles last year before yeah. he had back issues. He's had health concerns throughout his career. So 
you need depth, as we talked about. So, you know, maybe they sign one of those guys. They signed Rugnet Odor to be their opening day second baseman. Maybe they sign an Iglesias or a Solano to be depth pieces at shortstop, and they don't hand them the job on day one. Yeah, and that's why I tossed out a guy like Nico Goodrum right. or Jonathan VR because you can back up Jorge Mateo at that utility spot, or you can also play third base or maybe bounce over to second. Yeah. All right, let's talk about third base because you just teased Jonathan VR, who was in our initial bracket as well, and only a couple guys in our third base division of the eight guys that we had initially have disappeared. Uh, Kyle Seeger ended up retiring. We both thought that he was an intriguing name out there, but he decided to hang up his spikes after a great run with Seattle. Uh, Larry Garcia signed back with the Chicago White Sox, so those two are off the board. But there are six guys still remaining. Jonathan VR, Chris Owings, Marwin Gonzalez, Ahir Adrianza, Jake Lamb, and Matt Carpenter. I still... Looking at this board, have Marwin Gonzalez as the most likely and as the guy that makes the most sense to me because he is a potentially very versatile, good defensive with a little bit of pop. He's got veteran experience. I like what he brings to the table. It's just a matter of where the O's can get him. If it's a one-year, five, $4 million deal, I think the O's should strike. Yeah, and if you looked at the top of the bracket there, it was VR the one seed, and then Chris Owings and Marwin Gonzalez, I think those are probably the three names of the guys remaining that I would look at if I'm the Orioles at this point, because those three guys are probably the most starting caliber out of who we had on the bracket. I mean, Matt Carpenter would really have to turn things around to be a starter. Jake Lamb, I don't know if you start Lamb at third. I, maybe, but it's kind of a stretch. And then Ahir Adrianza has kind of been a career utility player up to this point. So VR, Owings, Gonzalez probably all start at third. Maybe Gonzalez doesn't, but he's at very least a good utility piece. I'm not sure if Owings does. He got only 50 plate appearances last year. He dealt with a lot of injuries and he was not very productive. Yeah, Lamb, I think, would strictly be a depth piece because he's 31 years old and hit under the Mendoza line last year. So, and bounce back and forth, but, you know, he, he played on multiple organizations last year, and he's pretty much strictly a third baseman, can't play any other position. So he would be a depth piece, I think. Um, but if you are looking for a bona fide starter, and I think the O's should be, I think that Adrianza and Marwin Gonzalez would probably stick out for me. Yeah, I would agree. I, I still probably lean towards VR out of that group because of the versatility. I think he could start at third and maybe back up Jorge Mateo at short if you need him to be there. And I don't think he would have to play second because of the amount of guys that the Orioles have at second base at this point. Mm -hmm. But VR makes a lot of sense to start at third. And then Matt Duffy, who wasn't on the bracket, another name that could potentially be a starter at third base. Yeah, he's 31 years old, uh, bounced between San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Texas, and the Yankees. Uh, in his career before he had a pretty good 2021 season. 1.7 baseball reference war with Chicago in 2021 with the 738 OPS. So fine season for Matt Duffy. Maybe the O's strike on that with a major league deal. And then another guy that actually a lot of people brought up his name shortly after we did the bracket because they were upset we didn't include him, Josh Harrison. 34 years old, still a pretty productive player. Was with Washington last year before he was traded over to Oakland. Most of his career games come at third base, but he still has the ability to play second base, maybe play in the outfield a little bit. So 
maybe he's in the Orioles price range. I tend to think Josh Harrison is going to be used as a depth piece on a competitive team. But if he wants an everyday starting spot, maybe he'll sign with the Orioles. Yeah, Josh Harrison just, he was a candidate for the bracket. I think he was probably the ninth seed out of the one through eight that we put on there. Josh Harrison just kind of strikes me as the kind of player that will, like you said, probably want to be a utility piece on a winning team rather than a starter on a team that is is not going to be as competitive. Yeah. Because Josh Harrison is not the kind of player that needs to take a prove it deal or take a job where he's starting every day to prove that he can get a bigger contract somewhere else. Right. Josh Harrison has had a very solid role throughout his entire career. He knows the player that he is, and I don't think he is trying to prove to another team that he can be an everyday starter, lock down one position, that's just not really his role. But the case you could make to him, if you're the Orioles, is you get a, an opening day role, we'll pay you maybe a little bit more than a competitive team might pay you, and if you play well enough, in July, you'll find yourself on a competitive team. Yeah. So you get you get your cake and you eat it too. Would be a good flip candidate at the deadline. Exactly, as, as he was flipped a year ago. All right, final division here, and I saw some people in the chat talking about potential catchers that the Orioles could sign. The Orioles already added a couple guys during the lockout on minor league deals, Jacob Nottingham and Anthony Bemboom. But I remember right before the lockout, you saying, you banging the table, banging your fist on the table to push Robinson Chirinos to the finals and to push him as the winner because your point was the Orioles had just outrighted their two catchers and Pedro Severino and Austin wins. They needed a catcher. They needed to have somebody on their 40-man roster. And here we are on February 23rd, and the Orioles still have no catchers on their 40-man roster. They can't make changes to their 40-man roster. So it's not like they, from December 1st until now, they couldn't have added anybody to that 40-man roster. However, they still probably should sign a catcher. They need to sign a catcher, Paul. (laughs) My goodness. I mean, Pedro Severino and Austin Wins have both signed elsewhere. There is not going to be a reunion happening there. And the Orioles, yes, have signed two minor league catchers that could maybe fight for a backup role at the major league level. But I don't think Jacob Nottingham, I I mentioned Nottingham because I think of the two minor league catchers that the Orioles have signed, Nottingham probably has the best chance to be on the major league roster. I don't think if you're the Orioles, you can be comfortable throwing out Jacob Nottingham as your opening day catcher unless he really shows you something in spring training that he has not shown so far throughout his career. I don't think you can be comfortable with the combination of Nottingham and Ben Boom as your opening day catchers. The Orioles need to sign somebody to a major league deal, and I think Chirinos makes a lot of sense, even if it's somebody who has been a career backup, like an Austin Romine or a Stephen Vogt. You don't need a major league caliber starting catcher for that long because Adley Rutschman is going to be called up more than likely at some point later this year. You probably just need a serviceable backup, but it's got to be somebody on a major league deal. We saw somewhat of a run on catchers in free agency before the lockout because Sandy Leone went to Cleveland. Tucker Barnhart was traded for and then picked up his option to go to Detroit. Roberto Perez went from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. Manny Pena went to Atlanta. Christian Vasquez went to Boston. Heck, Pedro Severino went to, went to Milwaukee on a major league deal. So teams are grasping for catchers here. 
And this is one of those areas, this is the opposite of the shortstop conversation. The shortstop conversation is there are so many good guys that the Orioles might benefit from the glut of players here. Catcher is the exact opposite. Teams are dying to have quality catcher play. There's a dearth of quality catchers in baseball right now, and especially free agents, because you think of they, they usually don't get the service time to become free agents until they're 31, 32 years old, and it's such a grueling position that by the time they're 31, 32 years old, a lot of their good play has already been used up. So the Orioles might kind of be stuck with the guys that are going to be left on the scrap heap. Yeah, and I think it's important to reiterate as we are getting comments on both Facebook and YouTube about Adley Rutschman. Yes, we would be comfortable with Adley Rutschman being your opening day catcher. However, we are operating under the assumption that the service time rules are not going to change, and Adley Rutschman is probably going to start the year at AAA Norfolk and be called up probably as early as possible halfway through the season. But we are operating under the assumption that he will not be called up until then. Yeah. And you mentioned Stephen Voigt. I like him as, you know, a 37-year-old, as much as he can bring to the table, as a veteran presence who can start for the first couple months of the season before handing the baton to Adley Rutschman. He hit 195, but he did have seven homers in 78 games in 2021. He was traded from Arizona to Atlanta. So he probably is not going to be getting the kind of offers that some of the other guys on this market will be getting. So he will have to settle most likely for a minor league deal or a major league minimum style style deal, excuse me, Uh, because look, I mean, when we go through these guys that are left, the catchers, not a whole lot of them are going to have great offensive numbers because even the guys that were at the top of the market, Roberto Perez has never been a great offensive catcher, but he got a sizable deal. There just aren't a lot of good catchers in the majors in general. Yeah. I mean... It, the next wave is coming, and Adley is starting yes. that next wave. And no offense to Mike Zanino, but Mike Zanino was the all-star starter in the American League as a catcher. I mean... And Mike Zanino hit like 190. JT Real Muto is one of the best catchers in baseball right now, and he's still not an elite catcher. No. You know, he's still not at the top of his game. He's probably fallen off a slight bit, and he's not a, a, an incredible player. So I think that... There's a dearth right now of great catchers, especially after Buster Posey retired. I was going to say, we are yeah. not in the era of Joe Mauer, Buster Posey anymore. Yeah. I mean, somebody threw out on Facebook the name Andrew Knapp. Backup for the Phillies hit just 152 last year. He had a positive war through his first three seasons in baseball before he really had a poor offensive season last year. He's a candidate. He's 30 years old. I mean, Jose Lobatone is 37. He's been on every team, I feel like, over the past yeah. however many seasons. Jeff Mathis is 39. Is he willing to bring it back for one more season? There's just not a whole lot of quality options here. Kurt Suzuki, I'm not sure if we've mentioned him already, but even Kurt Suzuki, he's 38, might, and also might command a little bit more money because he's pretty good offensively. Yeah. Yeah, So there's a lot of catchers that are in this same category of being old and fine. Pretty good offensively, 74 OPS plus. So he and was that's 20, still fine. 26% worse than the average offensive player. Yeah. Well. But no, I mean, your, your, your point is a good one that that qualifies as fine for offensive production for a catcher in today's day and age, especially on the free agent market. So Adley Rutschman will solve this problem, we think, within the first two months of the season. And this is a separate conversation. There's a possibility that Adley Rutschman could get promoted and is almost automatically a top five catcher in the American League. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Oh, like off the bat. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, but Salvador Perez is great catcher for Kansas City. He's already, you know, over 30. So, yeah, there's, there's just not a whole lot of guys out there. Um, all right. Those are our four categories, our four divisions. Are there any other spots you think the Orioles might make an upgrade? We talked about the bullpen. I don't see the Orioles making an upgrade in the bullpen unless it's on a minor league deal, similar to the Fernando Abad deal that they made early in the offseason last year, or yeah. in December, January last year. Yeah, the bullpen is... Uh, there's a lot of arms there. I don't think the Orioles need to add arms to the bullpen. I think they just need to figure out what arms are going to stick around. But as of right now, there are a lot of options that Brandon Hyde can run through in the bullpen. Maybe they add a veteran arm for a little bit of stability because there aren't many stable bullpen arms at this point. There's guys with high potential, as we talked about last week on our podcast, but there aren't a lot of veteran stable arms, if any, at this point. So maybe the Orioles add a veteran there, but... As you said, it's a, it's a little bit crowded right now, and I don't really see it happening. The outfield is also very crowded. Yeah. I don't think the Orioles need to add anybody there, considering there's guys like Ryan McKenna, who even right now is probably the fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder. Tyler Nevin. There's if Robert just, Newstrom makes it through the Rule right, 5 draft. Robert Newstrom, and then Kyle Stowers could potentially get promoted. There's a lot of outfield options. I don't think the Orioles need to sign anybody there, especially because some of the infielders that they might look at will probably have the versatility to be able to play the outfield if needed. Right. And at that point, that'll be a luxury because right. of how many guys they already have that can yeah. fill quality roles out there. And if they looked at a Nico Goodrum or a Josh Harrison, those are two guys that can play the outfield. Jemai Jones can play the outfield. They've got options. Yeah. All right. Well, let us know who you think the Orioles should sign, which positions you think they should target as soon as the transaction freeze thaws. Please comment along and, of course, share this, like, rate, subscribe, all the good things. Give us a like on YouTube especially. That helps the formula, as they say. Uh, share, all that good stuff. So a lot of people saying we need baseball. Hopefully we are going to get baseball at some point soon. And, and with any luck, by this point next week, our next podcast will be discussing when spring training is starting up and when players are reporting to camp and all the new free agent signings that are going to be made. I'm excited. It's going to be like a you know free agency wave part two. Everybody's going to be scrambling. We've all yeah. been just kind of waiting at the starting line. And as soon as this thing ends, everybody's going to be scrambling, figuring out where guys are going, what teams are going to look like, and how these teams are going to ramp up before the season. Yeah, and, and you've got to think too that Maybe before the lockout, there were a few just like handshake deals that were like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll figure it well, out. Well, clearly teams were taking it right up to the finish line. So right. like the Jordan Lyles deal was not even official because he's still out on the 40 man because they got it done right before midnight on December 1st. I think it was actually tweeted out after, after midnight. midnight. Yeah. So they must have like agreed to it at 1159 and they can't get the paperwork in in time so yeah you know i think a lot of teams were negotiating with players right up until that deadline to the point where they can as soon as the lockout ends they'll just take it over the finish line i have a feeling it might feel like 
the NBA free agency yeah. window where it opens at like four o'clock and then at like four Oh one, Kevin Durant signs. And you're like, how did that happen? Yeah. I'm going to set, Hold on. I'm going to set my tweet notifications to every national reporter. Yeah. Um, it's going to be exciting. Yeah. Can't wait for it. Um, but of course, please, uh, share this wherever, please comment, let us know what you think the Orioles should do and how excited you are to uh, eventually get this ball rolling on the 2022 season. You can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. Watch on YouTube and Facebook as well. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing this podcast. I'm at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Brendan is at Brendan Morty, and we will catch you next week.